You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanksgiving is over, and unfortunately, so is the win streak. With that, welcome to a special weekend wrap-up episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. When we last spoke on Wednesday evening, just before the holiday, the Rockets were close to the hottest team in the NBA, having won five consecutive games and 8-10 and to improve their record then to a season-best two games above 500 at 9-7. and now, as we chat on Sunday morning, unfortunately, the Rockets are back to 500 at 9 and 9 after suffering a pair of weekend defeats on a road back to back. First to the Pistons in overtime on Friday night, 116 to 111, and then a shocking defeat, 117 to 108, to a just 4 and 14 Cleveland team on Saturday night in the back half of the back to back without Chris Paul, but even with Chris Paul out due to rest, it's a game that you would expect the Rockets to be able to beat a bad post LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers team. So today's show will be a bit of a hybrid. We will still stick with our usual three points, i.e. three segments style, and in segments two and three we'll talk about the Detroit and Cleveland games specifically and what went right and, more appropriately, what went wrong in those two losses for the Rockets. But to lead off in our initial segment, I want to discuss and take stock of where the Rockets are at right now because it's one thing if you split the back-to-back, even against teams that are not especially imposing Detroit Cleveland, Washington, this current three-game Rockets East Coast road trip. I don't know if any of us expected the Rockets to sweep it, even though they were going to be favored in all of the games. There's some talent on those squads, and especially when you factor in the road back-to-back, the three games and four nights angle, it's understandable that the Rockets would lose a game in there. To lose twice, however, that's a little deflating. And for the Rockets to be at just 500 when we're about to pass later this week the quarter pole of the season, it is a little bit concerning. So that's where I'm going to lead off discussing, and then in segment two and segment three, we'll get to each individual game, first the Pistons and then the Cavaliers specifically. As I see it, the glass half full view is this. If there's a year you were going to have a sluggish start in the NBA, this is the one. The Warriors, who are the gold standard, are only two games ahead of you in the loss column at seven losses. And if you had asked before the year, who other than the Rockets is the closest competition to the Warriors? I think the most common answers you would have gotten would be the Celtics and the Jazz. Well, each of them actually have more losses than the Rockets do. The Celtics at 10, the Jazz at 11. So the Rockets are not alone in struggling through the first six weeks of the year. And when I say struggle, I mean relative. Certainly, it could be a lot worse. But for a Rockets team that won 65 games a year ago and was seen as a championship contender, being at 500, entering a week that you'll ultimately pass the quarter pole, yes, it's underwhelming. But the good news is that you're not alone. Other very quality teams are struggling as well. There's more talent up and down the NBA, especially in the Western Conference, than there has been before. So it's not like anyone has been able to run off and hide. All your goals in terms of competing, not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season for top seeding for playoff consideration in terms of whether you can get the favorable advantages, potentially even the one seed like you did a year ago, that's all still on the table. No one has been able to run off and hide, even with the Rockets at 9-9, entering the this week in which the calendar will turn to December. 
And though there were some clear issues exposed in terms of rebounding and depth combined in these two losses this weekend, the Rockets were out-rebounded by 24, including a staggering 19, 49 to 30 differential on Saturday night in Cleveland. Yes, that's an issue. We'll talk about it more when we discuss that game. So are the turnovers. James Harden averaging more than one now at 5.5 per game this season. That's up from 4.4 a year ago. So proportionally, that's a pretty big increase. Had nine on Saturday night, seven on Friday night in Detroit. Yes, those are issues. Depth is a factor as well with Chris Paul sitting out night two of the road back-to-back because he's 33 years old and the Rockets are going to be smart with his injury or minutes management, I should say. There's no injury, thankfully, but managing his minutes so that there's not one, then the Rockets effectively play just a seven-man rotation on Saturday evening when you look at Michael Carter-Williams playing just four minutes and and Isaiah Hartenstein playing only three off the bench. So without Chris Paul, if you're playing a seven-man rotation in any game, let alone the second night of a road back-to-back and third and four-night stretch, yeah, it's going to be tough, and those are issues. But to get back to the glass-half-full view, the argument would be, look, Detroit is a tough team not just for the Rockets. They've been a good team, period, and maybe that wasn't the expectation going into the season, but they are. It's not just the Rockets. The Pistons are 9-7 and seven on the year. Blake Griffin is averaging more than 25 points and 10 rebounds per game. Andre Drummond is averaging 19-16. and 16. Joanne Casey is the reigning coach of the year from Toronto. It's turning into a pretty good team, and I would be shocked if they're not in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. So when you factor in going to overtime, there's also a bad call that the Rockets were victimized by a clear goaltend on what I believe was a three that Andre Drummond took when it was inside the cylinder. The Rockets probably win that game in regulation, and we're talking about a six-game winning streak, including back-to-back wins over a very good team in Detroit. So the schedule especially in these last two losses, has not been very friendly to the Rockets. Even with Cleveland being a bad team, look, it's not like they're without talent. Colin Sexton went off Saturday night, and I know they're post-LeBron James, but there's a reason Colin Sexton was a top-ten pick in the draft. And if he scores 29 points on 14 of 21 shooting, then yeah, a team like Cleveland, even one of the dregs of the league, supposedly, can be tough. Last year, the Rockets won 65 games, and they lost twice in the first month of the year to a Memphis team that ended up being dreadful. This does happen over the 82-game grind. Even bad teams will have nights in which they're hot, and that seemed to happen for Cleveland on Saturday night. And for the Rockets, again, they were without Chris Paul. It's night two of a road back-to-back and a third and four-night stretch. So while there are certainly no excuses for losing to a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers, on some level, it's at least understandable when you consider the scheduling impacts, and then the broader context of the season, which a lot of teams that were supposed to be very good, not just the Rockets, are struggling. Everything is still available to them, even at 9-9. Nine and nine. As mentioned earlier, everything's still on the table. The glass-half-empty view, as I see it, is that the Rockets have missed an opportunity. Because all that we've said about the rest of the, the league struggling, well, the Rockets, if they had won these last two games you'd be tied with the Warriors and you're the top of the Western Conference. And if you hadn't started one and five and four and seven, then you'd be able to say, hey, even with these two losses, we've won five of our last seven, eight of our last 12. And overall, you're still playing relatively well. So to me, I'm torn between the two perspectives because yes, I understand why it happened. And especially in Detroit, it's not like the Rockets played poorly. But at the same time, when you start one and five, when you start four and seven, your margin of error is shrunk, not just in the immediate term, but in the longer term. The Rockets all season long are going to be trying to dig their way out of that poor start. And to some degree, 
it magnifies and enhances any little blip, a two-game slide, which, yes, even last year, a season the Rockets went 55, uh, 65, excuse me, and 17. Now the Rockets, we're not even in December, and they have more than half of the losses, nine, that they had all of last year, 17, in the regular season. So when you start and you're playing in the shadow of those expectations, it is easy for things to spiral. And to some extent, I think that's what happened on Saturday evening. We saw the Rockets, you know, the story I mentioned on Wednesday when they beat the Pistons, the Pistons were red hot from three. And when you factor in how physical they are up front, you would have thought if the Pistons make 16 threes, 47%, how do they lose? Well, the Rockets battled them to a standstill on the boards. Friday night, the Rockets were out-rebounded by five. And then Saturday night, as mentioned, it seemed to spiral. And all of a sudden, they were out-rebounded by 19 now, yes, Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson are the league's two best offensive rebounding team, or offensive rebounding players, excuse me. But you shouldn't be out-rebounded by 19 in an NBA game, especially when you have Clint Capella in the middle averaging better than 17 points and nearly 12 rebounds and two blocks per game in a career-high 34-plus minutes. You shouldn't be out-rebounded by 19 against anyone. And the glass-half-empty view is that at some point you become what your record says you are, even if on paper you're supposed to be better than a 9-9 and team, or however long we go with the Rockets hovering around 500, at some point you start expecting things mentally not to go your way. You start finger-pointing, you start wondering if you have enough. I don't think we're nearly there with the Rockets, especially coming off a stretch in which, again, they won five straight games, eight of ten. But at some point you do need to see consistently better results, or else you can build what I consider losing habits. We talked about good habits, winning habits. There is such a thing as losing habits. And to some extent, especially in the first half of the Cleveland game when the Rockets gave up, I believe, 63 points, yeah, you could see that there was just a lack of composure on the defensive end of the floor. Of the Cavaliers' first 41 misses, I believe they had offensive rebounds on 20 of them. That is staggering. And that's why, to me, it's a bit of a different dynamic than it was earlier in the season. Because when they started 1-5 and five and they started 4-7, and seven, the far and away leading storyline was that the Rockets were just not getting what they're supposed to get from Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon. Now we're starting to see those guys bounce back. The ball is going through the net for generally all three of those guys. Eric Gordon finally had his breakout game Saturday night, scored 28 points starting in place of Chris Paul, shooting 50% from the field and nearly 50%, 5 of 11 from behind the arc. James Harden averaged better than 35 points per game. Now, he did have too many turnovers. I've mentioned Harden's improved defense this year, setting a tone on that end. But you can also set a tone in terms of valuing possessions, and he's done the opposite of that too often lately. Again, 5.5 turnovers per game for the season for Harden. That's up from 4.4 a year ago. That's a pretty big proportional increase. And as the leader, he needs to tighten it up because the Rockets, especially when they're struggling to rebound like they are, they can't give away possessions. That just compounds the issue. But generally speaking, Harden was fine. He averaged over 35 points per game on this road trip. He was a little inefficient, 9 of 27 in Detroit, but gives some credit to the Pistons perimeter defenders and also their interior rim protection with Andre Drummond. And James Harden did make some big shots late in that game to keep the Rockets afloat and, well, actually up before Blake Griffin hit a ridiculous three with under three seconds left in regulation. Rockets did ultimately tie it up, but lost in overtime. And then Chris Paul, he played just one half of the road back-to-back, but 20 points, 9 assists, 7 of 16 shooting. Yeah, that's what you need from Chris Paul. So generally speaking, the ball is going through the net for your big guns, and I suppose that's better because when they were struggling early in the year and then those guys weren't seeing it go in, then there's not much you can do other than trust that they'll revert back to their career norms. And if they don't, it's terminal. 
There's no other way to look at it. So you had no choice but to be patient. In this case, it's a little more troubling to me because there are potential issues from the standpoint of roster composition. For all of P.J. Tucker's strengths, you are an undersized team when he's starting at the four spot. He's only six foot six, and he's 33 years old. And as much as we love P.J., Father Time does not stop for anyone. And one of the first things that may go is his springs in terms of rebounding. He's still going to be a very strong, a very high IQ player. But last year, he averaged 5.6 rebounds per game in 28 minutes. This year, in 36 minutes per game, he's averaging 5.8. 5.6 to 5.8, despite playing eight more minutes per game. It doesn't take a genius to tell you that he was rebounding proportionally better a season ago. Now, you can argue that since the Rockets have an all-star level player in Clint Capella in the middle, how much does rebounding at the four spot really matter when you have a guy who can go out and give you the ridiculous 29 points, a career high, by the way, and 21 rebounds, including 12 on offense, that he did on night one in Detroit against Andre Drummond? And to some extent, that's true, but when you compound it, the rebounding issues with the depth issues, even Clint Capella is going to see some effects. And in addition to the depth, of course, the Rockets switching defense takes him away from the basket from time to time to defend perimeter players. So because of that, you do need your other players at the four spot, the three, and even the guards to be able to step up. But on that game in Detroit, in which everyone had to play five extra minutes because of the overtime, so it's not just a road back-to-back, it's a road back-to-back in which the first game went five extra minutes, which cost everyone, I think, a little bit from a fatigue standpoint. If the Rockets had won that game, it would have been the ultimate in terms of feel good and maybe propelled them through Saturday night. Instead, the reverse happened. But Capella had 21 rebounds in 43 minutes. And yes, his stamina is up. He's playing a career high, what, I believe 35 minutes per game. But that's a high workload to ask of any player, let alone a seven-footer who has to run up and down the floor. And Saturday night, he played 40 minutes, but had just 10 rebounds. Again, 21 in 43 minutes Friday to 10 in 40 minutes Saturday. On a proportional basis, I know he had 12 and 10, so it's not like Capella was bad. But to some extent, he didn't carry, he didn't meet his standard on the first night. And I think the most plausible explanation, he was a little tired. All of them were. But I think it's especially the case up front. Because in these last three games, which the Rockets have played twice against the Pistons and once against Cleveland, Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson types banging near the bucket, it's clear they don't really trust Isaiah Hartenstein. Hartenstein played just seven minutes on Friday in Detroit and just three minutes on Saturday in Cleveland. For all of his strengths, and we've discussed them plenty, he's great at switching. That gives him so many options. And Jeff Bezdelic, who has now returned to the team in his scheme, he's not the presence near the rim that Clint Capella is. And because of that, they're having to extend him to lengths like 43 minutes and 40 minutes on a back-to-back. Similarly, P.J. Tucker played 44 minutes on Friday and then 42 on Saturday. When you think rebounding, and that's far and away the biggest issue for the Rockets right now, obviously 49-30 was the differential on Saturday, and the Rockets went from fourth in the league in defensive rebounding rate a season ago to now dead last, 30th. Yeah, it's a big storyline, and when you look at it, there are two primary angles. When it's coming to rebounding, it's part skill, part effort. Well, the effort, of course, they need to try harder. But beyond that, look, when you have to overextend guys because you don't trust your backup options up front, then yeah, it is going to take a toll on the effort. And in terms of skill, it's fair to ask if you don't really trust your backup center right now, Isaiah Hartenstein, in certain matchups, 
and PJ Tucker is 33 years old, and that's a guy who's six foot six and not the longest rebound type to begin with, it's fair to wonder if you need more help. The same thing can be said when it comes to the guards, because as mentioned, a lot of the times Capella in the switching scheme does get taken away from the bucket, so it's not really his opportunity to rebound. Okay, well, you need James Harden and Chris Paul to chip in. Well, Friday night, Harden had just two rebounds. Paul had four. Saturday night, Harden had four rebounds. Eric Gordon had two. So those guys, especially on night two of the road back-to-back with Chris Paul unavailable and Harden having to play 44 minutes, Gordon having to play 39 Friday night, uh, Paul played 37, Harden played 41, Gordon 34 off the bench. When you're having to overextend everyone because you can't trust Michael Carter-Williams, they might still be able to knock down shots because that's something they can do in their sleep. But as far as going the extra mile to chip in on the glass, they don't really have the springs to do that. So yes, of course, they need to try harder. But beyond trying harder, it also comes down to how can you put them in the best position to boost their effort. And that's through minutes management. Now, the Rockets do have a couple of internal solutions, potentially. Brandon Knight and Nene, who are currently out with injuries. Knight rehabbing the surgically repaired knee that had an infection in training camp. Nene strained a calf muscle. Both of those guys, from what I've heard, could come back in December. But in my opinion, the Rockets' brain trust, and that starts with Gerald Morey, they're going to have to look at themselves hard in the mirror and ask, A, when are these guys coming back? Is it soon? And B, do we trust them? Because it's not like you can assume that either of those guys, let alone both, are going to be able to play regular rotation roles. Now, I don't think the Rockets would necessarily promote Nene ahead of Isaiah Hartenstein. There are certain matchups, starting with the Warriors, where it seems Hartenstein is a great fit. But I think at least in terms of these physical, these plotting, these bigger teams that crush the offensive class, yeah, that's where you could potentially use Nene. But Nene is 36 years old now. Does he still have it, even on a part-time basis, in him to be a rotation player. I hope he does, but there's some gray in that beard for a reason. And with Brandon Knight, this is a guy who really hasn't played NBA basketball in nearly two years. Missed all of last year with the ACL injury and has not played in the first two months of this season with an infection in that same knee. So it remains to be seen, A, if he's healthy, and B, even if he is physically cleared, then is he still capable after so much of a long layoff of going back to that form that had him at one point as a 20.5 assists per game type player. I hope one or both of those guys are able to step into rotation roles because certainly I think having more bodies, that could help everyone across the board have more energy to help out Clint Capella on the offensive glass. And in the case of Nene, potentially lower Capella's minutes so he's not dragging in the second half the way it looked like he was against Cleveland when the Rockets were trying to make that comeback. But it's far from a given. And if either of those guys, if you have doubts about them basketball-wise or related to their health, when you're already at nine losses, that's more than half of what you had all last year, the Rockets don't have that the luxury of waiting too long. Now, maybe one or both of those guys comes back quickly. I hope that's the case. But what I think this weekend shows is that even though the Rockets, we bragged about last week after getting Gerald Green back, they do have a nine-man rotation. Well, after those nine, it drops off pretty quickly. And then when you factor in the schedule doing you no favors, the road back-to-back, and having to sit out Chris Paul, it can get ugly pretty fast. The story is rebounding, but beyond the rebounding, it's part skill, but also part effort. How do you maximize that effort? Well, you probably need more bodies. And for the Rockets, they could have the solutions internally, but they're going to have to take a long, hard look in the mirror. And if they don't, then yeah, it may be time with nine losses already on the ledger for the Rockets to look externally for those solutions 
We'll see what happens in the days ahead. The Rockets get back home Wednesday to play Dallas, and perhaps then, with the calendar about to turn to December, is when we'll get more of an update medically on where those two guys are at. And if neither is close, then maybe the Rockets do have to look externally at an upgrade. I know they're always active on the trade market. I know there's buyouts, but that's probably something that happens in February. The Rockets may not have the luxury after already suffering nine losses of waiting until then. And so in my opinion, that's going to be the storyline to watch for the Rockets in the days ahead. Now, jumping back into the show. Apologies for the long opening segment, but with the Rockets now sitting dead last in defensive rebounding rate after being fourth a season ago, it's tough to look at either of these two games, the 116-111 loss on Friday in Detroit or the 117-108 loss on Saturday in Cleveland in isolation. To some extent, these are trends that we've seen for some time that are now just getting exaggerated in part because you played two really strong offensive rebounders in Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson. So rather than nitpick any one game, I think the far and away leading storyline and the most interesting, interesting thing to discuss is long-term, do the Rockets have the pieces they need to be a good defensive rebounding team? Because certainly that's the big reason why the Rockets suddenly, after going through a stretch in which they were averaging below 100 points per game allowed, well now all of a sudden they've given up, what, 124, 116, and 117 in their last three games. Clearly, that is long-term the biggest storyline. That said, as far as the individual games, let's discuss each as we close out the podcast. First, let's start with Detroit. As I said earlier, this in a vacuum is not a bad loss. It feels bad because it was immediately compounded by the Cleveland loss the next night. And of course, when you start 4-7 and seven, the way the Rockets did, any loss feels bad because your margin of error is less than we'd all like it to be. That said, the Pistons are a good team. Give them credit. They're 9-7. and seven. They've given a lot of teams, not just the Rockets, trouble. They won in Toronto a couple of weeks ago, which is a very tough win. The Raptors having the league's best record at this point. But look, Andre Drummond is a threat to go 20-20 and 20 every night, and that's what he did on Friday, 23-20. and 20. Blake Griffin, 28 points, 9 of 18 from the field, 9 rebounds. I don't know that I expect it to last the whole season, but right now he's averaging better than 25 points and 10 rebounds per game, and that's MVP candidate numbers. And speaking of awards, Dwayne Casey, the reigning NBA Coach of the Year, oh, somehow Toronto let him go, and now he's leading the way in Detroit. So it's a very talented basketball team, and it's one, especially with that physically imposing front line, that matches up very well, in my opinion, with the Rockets' weakness, which is their defensive rebounding. That's not the switching, not the man-to-man defense. That is what is currently undercutting the Rockets. It's not that, oh, they don't have Ariza and Luke Bamute to stop triple penetration. Now, to some extent, that was an issue on Saturday, but I think a lot of that had to do with tired legs. The bigger issue is that they're just not rebounding as well as they did a year ago. And Detroit is a team that's perfectly positioned to capitalize on that. And the Rockets, on paper, their advantage on Detroit should be that they have more playmakers offensively. But as mentioned earlier, James Harden, he had 33 points and 8 assists, but he shot just 9 of 27 from the field. Eric Gordon off the bench, 11 points. He was a plus 10 in the plus minus, but just 4 of 14. If Eric Gordon isn't shooting the way he's capable of and James Harden isn't at peak efficiency and you're on the road, that's going to be a tough game to get. And ultimately, tip your hat to the Pistons. They're a good team. They played well, and the Rockets just did not execute well enough offensively to offset the limitations on the class. Now, they were only minus 5 in rebounding because Clint Capella was just an animal, 29 and 21 in his 43 minutes. Also had three blocks, but as compared to Wednesday, 
in Houston when the Rockets played the Pistons, and it was basically a draw on the glass. The Rockets on Friday were a minus five, 49 to 44, and ultimately in a game that went down to the wire, a couple of loose balls, that can be the difference. Also, keep in mind, the Rockets led this game. James Harden made a tough step back in the final 30 seconds to put them up one, and the Pistons got the ball, and the Rockets played great defense, and Blake Griffin just drilled a 27-footer right in Clint Capella's grill. There's not much that you can do with that other than tip your cap. For his career, Blake Griffin is just a 33% shooter from behind the arc. And if you have Clint Capella and his length switched onto him on the perimeter, I'll take my chances with that any day of the week. Unfortunately, Griffin just made a tough shot, and it put the Pistons not just up by one, but up by two. That was a big difference because by going up two, it allowed the Pistons to play much more aggressively on the ensuing Rockets possession with 2.6 seconds left. Now, I did like what I saw from Mike D'Antoni. Mike's always been a very strong tactical guy, the X's and O's of drawing up late-game plays. And when they went out the first time, they called a timeout in between. So basically, they tried to inbound the first time, couldn't get it in, called timeout after seeing what the Pistons were trying to do defensively. The Pistons were overplaying on the perimeter. In my opinion, they weren't going to give up a three, especially to James Harden or Chris Paul, potentially lose the game. So the Rockets adjusted. They had more players going towards the bucket and knowing that there wasn't much rim protection because they were overplaying the passing lanes and trying to defend the three. They got the ball to Eric Gordon, who drove to the rim, hit a layup with 0.1 left, and that tied the game and sent it to overtime. Unfortunately, what happened in overtime, we started to see the tired legs, and that only became a bigger storyline on Saturday, but the first impacts of that we saw in overtime on Friday. The Pistons also just made some really tough shots. Tip your hat to those guys. Harden also had just a terrible turnover in which I believe the Rockets were within one possession, and he ended up, Chris Paul was coming around behind him, to bail him out, and unfortunately, he tried to force pass. It led to a transition layup in which the Pistons were able to push the lead to two possessions with, I believe, only two or three minutes left in the game, and that's a pretty big margin at that point in time, especially with the Rockets team that was starting to run on fumes. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about Harden and the turnovers. He's up more than one per game, from 4.4 to 5.5. That's a big jump, and it's only been getting worse of late. His last four games, six turnovers, six turnovers, seven turnovers, nine turnovers, The Rockets need to value possessions, and while he did make some tough shots late in that Detroit game, there were too many possessions he gave away, and then on Saturday night, without Chris Paul to help him out in terms of the distribution, those problems were only made worse. Again, nine turnovers against the Cavaliers. So with Harden, he has been, in my opinion, even a better defensive player this year, and that helps set a tone since he's the MVP, he's the leader of the team, the franchise, all of that is good. He's gotten his due. Unfortunately, while his defense has improved, his taking care of the basketball, whatever you want to call that skill, that, in my opinion, has regressed. He needs to tighten that up because it's not just James. It also sets a tone for the the effort, the motor of the rest of the team collectively. And once James starts to value possessions, then, in my opinion, it's going to be much easier for the Rockets as a team to do so as well. And, again, for a team that has these issues with the rebounding that we have discussed for most of this podcast – Well, it's only going to be made worse if you're not maximizing your talents offensively, which are supposed to be immense when you have guys like James Harden, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon. But right now, James is being too sloppy, too undisciplined with the basketball. And then you combine that with the rebounding issues and playing a good team on the road like Detroit. And there's no shame in the loss because, yeah, it's a tough opponent. But at the same time, the Rockets' margin of error isn't what we would like it to be. The Rockets need to win some of these swing games. It was there for the taking, but unfortunately, the Pistons made the plays down the stretch 
The Rockets did not, and because of that, the Pistons won 16-111 winners in overtime. Now, one silver lining you can take from this, the Pistons actually scored just 98 points in regulation. They outscored the Rockets 18-13 in overtime. That's when I think some of the legs especially started to go on the Rockets' side. We mentioned the defense earlier in the context of rebounding, and the Rockets in their last three games have given up 124, 116, 117 points. Well, again, 116 Detroit scored, 18 came in overtime. If you want an apples-to-apples comparison, which is 90, uh, 48 minutes, excuse me, the Rockets held the Pistons to just 98 points. So defensively, even though they were beaten up a bit on the glass, they held their own. And that's why, you know, I always say it's not just about what the problem is, it's how to fix it. And if you want to fix a problem, you need to understand it. And of course, some of the national narratives, it feels like anytime the Rockets lose a game, it comes back to, oh, they lost Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute. Well, on Friday night in Detroit, that wasn't the story. The Rockets' defense, they switched well, they executed. The effort, at least until overtime, seemed to be there. For them to only give up, not even give up 100 points in regulation, despite the rebounding issues, despite Andre Drummond having a 20-30 and 20 night, yeah, that shows you that in terms of perimeter defense, it's fine. It's the rebounding that ultimately became their undoing. And from there, not only did the Rockets lose the game, but I think there was a certain degree of fatigue and spiraling that carried over into Saturday's night, which we'll discuss on the other side. Now, as we close out the program, I won't spend too much time on Saturday's 117-108 loss in Cleveland. It sucked. There's no other way to put it. Let's just be honest about that. The Rockets didn't have their legs from the get-go. They gave up 63 points in the first half of the game. Now, generally speaking, the Rockets do need to take first halves more seriously. They also gave up 61 points in the first half against Detroit on Friday before they really tightened it up, giving up just 37 in the third and fourth quarters combined. Well, unfortunately, Saturday night, the Rockets gave up 63 in the first half, but because it's night to have a road back-to-back and a rotation that's even more short without Chris Paul sitting out due to rest, he's 33 years old, it's a road back-to-back three and four nights, well, the Rockets did not have that extra gear that they could summon in the second half. They were a little better, giving up just 54 points compared to 63 in the first half, but ultimately not enough to overcome an early deficit. In the story Saturday, it's what we've been discussing this entire podcast. It's about the rebounding. Look, the Rockets shot 50% from the field. They shot nearly 39% from three. James Harden had 40 points and 13 assists. Did have nine turnovers, which we were discussing. That's got to get better. But he shot 14 of 30 from the field, 5 of 12 from three. Eric Gordon had by far his best game of the year, starting in place of the injured or the resting Chris Paul. Sorry, he's not injured. Still used to saying that from the Western Conference Finals, which was the last time that Eric Gordon was starting. But Gordon, 28 points, 8 of 16, 5 of 11 from behind the arc. The Rockets, to get where they want to go to be a legit contender, they need Eric Gordon to be the fringe all-star level player he was a year ago. Saturday was a huge step in the right direction. And yet, despite Harden and Gordon giving you what they did offensively, the Rockets weren't even all that close, losing by nine points, and it wasn't like they were ever within one possession in the fourth quarter against a Cleveland Cavaliers team that, even with the win, is now just 4-14 and 14 as they enter a new era without LeBron James. And the big story, of course, we've discussed it the whole podcast, it's rebounding. Clint Capella had 21, in, 21 rebounds in 43 minutes on Friday, Saturday night in 40 minutes. He had just 10. While he was able to give you a little extra in terms of minutes, especially with the rotation at a disadvantage, he didn't have the same springs. The guards mentioned James Harden just four, Eric Gordon just two. They're not chipping in enough. And off the bench, Michael Carter-Williams just four minutes, Isaiah Hartenstein just three. Michael Carter-Williams just isn't good at basketball. You need a fourth guard you can trust with Chris Paul going to take some games off, even if he's not hurt. 
He's 33 years old. The Rockets are going to be smart about his minutes. So that's why you need a fourth guard you can trust. Well, Michael Carter-Williams just isn't good. Played four minutes in the first half, didn't even play in the second because the Rockets were behind the eight ball. And they're just trying to find some, any way to get back into the game. The Rockets need a fourth guard they can trust more. Ideally, that would be Brandon Knight. But if he's too hurt to return, they may need to look elsewhere because Michael Carter-Williams is not cutting it, especially if you get in back-to-back scenarios and Chris Paul may need to sit out. And as mentioned earlier, Isaiah Hartenstein, there are some matchups where he does well, especially when you're playing a team that has a lot of skill all over the floor, his ability to, to switch so well. Yeah, there's value to that. But against teams that have bigs like Tristan Thompson, Andre Drummond, more traditional, just crash the glass types, he's just not physical enough. He's too young. His body is not developed. And that's why he played just three minutes. It was clear that he was going to be eaten alive physically. And that's why the Rockets, even though, you know, James Harden and Eric Gordon had a combined 68 points between them on nearly 50% shooting, the offense was fine. Collectively, they shot 39% from behind the arc. Turnovers, too high at 16, led by 9 from Harden. But generally speaking, you'll take that level of offensive execution. Problem is, it doesn't matter who you play. If you get out-rebounded 49-30 to and the other team has 20 offensive rebounds, you're probably going to get beat. That's just the way it works in the NBA. And as mentioned, starting off the podcast... You have to give credit to the other teams sometimes as well. I know the Cavaliers are not a good team, but once in a while, even bad teams are going to have their nights. There's a reason why Colin Sexton, the rookie guard from Alabama, was a top 10 draft pick, and he had 29 points on 14 of 21 shooting. He made some tough shots late in the game. Tristan Thompson, 16 points, 20 rebounds. He's one of the more accomplished rebounders of our generation. So it's not like this is just an outlier against the Rockets. Rodney Hood, 9 points, plus 15 in his 26 minutes. God, it feels like he would be an all-NBA player. Not that nine points is anything to write home about, but it just feels like he is disproportionately strong whenever he plays the Rockets. Jordan Clarkson, everyone makes fun of his contract, but off the bench, 20 points, 50% shooting in 28 minutes. We talked earlier in the podcast about the Rockets maybe needing to add depth from outside the organization, be it a trade, a buyout, a street-free agent setting, whatever it may be. One popular target that gets mentioned a lot is Kyle Korver, and Saturday night he did nothing to uh, diminish that. In 19 minutes, he made all three of his three-pointers, scored 12 points. He's now 37 years old, but he can still stroke it. And on a Cleveland team that's 4-14 and and going nowhere, it doesn't feel like he is a fit. So my guess is that sometime by the February trade deadline, he'll be dealt. And yeah, conceivably, uh, Saturday night was a good audition for the Rockets when he made all three of his three-pointers and in 19 minutes scored 12 points. All of this isn't to give an excuse to the Rockets because even without Chris Paul, they should be the better team. But sometimes an opponent can be better than what they should be on paper. And that's what the Cavaliers were. It was a game that clearly they wanted more, and they got it. And while there's a lot of problems on the Rockets' end, starting with just getting murdered 49-30 to on the offensive class, don't forget to give a little bit of credit to Cleveland as well. I thought it was a very encouraging game from them, led by their top-10 rookie draft pick, Colin Sexton, going for 29 on 14 of 21 shooting. The Rockets were behind the eight ball all night when it came to the schedule and playing not just a road back-to-back, but an overtime game on the front end of it. No Chris Paul out due to rest. And then you combine the rebounding issues with a Cleveland team that got unexpected contributions from some of their young players. And yeah, all of a sudden, even against a team that entered 3-14, and it's the recipe for a loss. And unfortunately, the Rockets exit at 9-9 after that 117-108 defeat. And in my opinion, it makes Monday's game, which is the next time we'll talk, all the more important. The Rockets 
are in Washington on Monday night, and it's a dangerous game because the Wizards are a better team than their record. I know on paper they're a bit of a laughingstock, 7-12, but John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter Jr., there's a lot of talented pieces there. Of course, a lot of us have been speculating about what the Wizards apparently open to a sell-off. Could the Rockets get in play for any of those guys in the trade market? Potentially, but all of a sudden in the Eastern Conference, the Wizards are only two games back of the eighth seed and being a playoff team. So it's still on the table for them. They're a talented team, and the Rockets, they need this game because, as mentioned earlier, you there comes a point in a season where you are what your record says you are. And even if the Rockets are better than 9-10 and 10 and better than an 0-3 road trip, if that's the result you get, then yeah, it can bring some slumped shoulders, some bad habits, if you will. So in my opinion, that makes Monday a very big game. If the Rockets can salvage a game of this three-game road trip, get back home with a winning record at 10-9, and nine, then yeah, all of a sudden I think you can say, hey, you know, we've won six of our last eight games and nine of the last 13. If you win Monday, I think just from a mental health perspective, it's going to be easier to take a macro view when you look at this basketball team and the fact that, generally speaking, since that rocky start the first two or three weeks of the year, they have been playing better. The flip side is that if you go 0-3 on this road trip, I don't care how it happens. At some point, the focus is going to shift to the micro again, which is that regardless of how it should happen, regardless of how it looks on paper, the Rockets are struggling again, and do they have the answers to turn around the ship yet again? Hopefully that doesn't happen, but we'll find out in what, in my opinion, is a big game Monday night. I always say that some games are bigger than others over 82. Well, in my opinion, Monday night in Washington is one of those. So until then, this is where we will leave off. Again, apologies for having a few days without a show, but I went on vacation over Thanksgiving break with my family. I hope some of you all were as well. I've gotten to recharge my batteries, and now, hopefully, with the Rockets getting a chance to recharge, Sunday being a much-deserved off day after a road back-to-back and three- and four-night stretch, uh, the Rockets will be recharged, and hopefully all of us are as well. Regardless of what happens on the floor, though, we will be here for you at Lockdown Rockets doing what we do, which is recapping every game over the 82-game slate and bringing you five episodes a week as the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets. So in addition to the daily podcast, if you want even more content, the best place to get it, of course, is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. The show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. Both of those are sources for real-time analysis. Beyond Twitter, we do have a Facebook, facebook.com slash Lockdown Rockets, a website, LockdownRockets.com, an email address, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. All those are avenues to where you can ask me questions about the team, You can see our past shows, our prior content. You can inquire about becoming a potential advertiser and reach our rapidly growing audience. Again, don't hesitate to reach out if I can help you in any way, be it as a Rockets fan to learn more about the team or just as a human being to make life easier if you're interested in potentially advertising with us and boosting your business. Also, if you haven't checked out our sister shows on the network, I strongly encourage you to do so. At the Lockdown Podcast Network, we've got local experts across not just the NBA, but the NFL, Major League Baseball, college sports. That includes the Houston Texans, Lockdown Texans, hosted by my friends Robert Land and Brian Patterson. They are covering the NFL's hottest team, seven straight wins. I've got a big Monday night showdown against the Tennessee Titans at NRG Stadium. So there's lots of interesting things around the Texans. They also had an episode on Saturday after the unexpected death of Texans owner Bob McNair. So be it the team on the field or the legacy of owner Bob McNair off it, my friends Robert Land and Brian Patterson have you covered at Lockdown Texans. Please check out their show because what's good for them is good for me. We've got a great network at the Lockdown Podcast Network. So if you support our other shows, that helps me here at Lockdown Rockets as well. And of course, you can find Lockdown Texans, Lockdown Rockets, Lockdown any NBA, NFL, or even some Major League Baseball and college sports at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, 
Google uh, tune in. The odds are wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find us because the Lockdown Podcast Network has these local experts. So it's because of the strength of the network, there's a lot of distribution partners. So wherever you listen to us, you should be able to find other shows as well. And if you haven't subscribed already, please do and leave us a five-star review because these subscription figures and the five-star reviews, that's how we look attractive to potential advertisers and keep the business model working as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball or Houston Texans football. So with the plugs out of the way, this is where we will leave off. Again, the unhappy finals over the weekend, 116-111, Rockets losers on Friday in Detroit, and 117-108, Rockets losers Saturday night in Cleveland. Rockets fall to 9-9 and on the year, and they resume play on Monday night in Washington, D.C., after which they'll either be above 500 or below 500. Even early in the year, it's a critical game, so I hope you tune in. But regardless of what happens, come back after the game. We'll, we'll be breaking it down for you right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily analysis of Houston Rockets basketball.